evening, Romans chapter number 1, and I uh, appreciate the way the Lord met with us this morning, don't you? Well, He's good to us, and uh, He doesn't have to speak to us, but He does speak to us, and I'm thankful that He does. I'm thankful that He works in our hearts and lives. This evening, I'd like to begin, if the Lord will allow us to, a little short three-part series on a statement that the Apostle Paul makes. He makes four times in the record of Scripture, but three times in the epistles that he writes to the New Testament churches. And I believe there is, great, uh, there is a great truth for us to learn here. And I believe if we can let this soak in, I believe it will change our lives. Romans chapter number 1, and I'd like to begin reading in verse number 7. Paul says this, "...to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ." First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by any means, now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. For I am a debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now look back in verse number 15. I want you to notice this with me. So as much as in me is, Paul says, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this time you've given us. Thank you for your precious word, Lord. Thank you that it's real, that it's inspired, infallible, preserved, inerrant. Lord, that it's not just a mixture of truth, but it is the very truth. Lord, I pray this morning that you, or this evening, that you'd make it real to our hearts and lives and that you would apply this truth in a way that'd bring you glory. Lord, I love you, and I ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. As you read through the Pauline epistles, you'll find three separate times that Paul uses this phrase. He says, I am ready. When we think of readiness, we think of someone that is given forethought, someone that is uh, taken time to prepare, someone that is equipped for the task that is at hand. Uh, Paul did say one time in the book of Acts that he was ready. But it's interesting to note that when he makes that statement, he makes it out of the will of God. Let me say this, that there's been lots of folks that made good statements about bad things. Somebody say amen to that. He says, I am ready to go to Jerusalem also and to be bound. But the problem is, God didn't want him to go to Jerusalem. Listen, I, I've met lots of folks that said they righteously indignated, they're just mad in the flesh. Amen? I've met lots of folks that they was divinely determined, but really what they was was just stubborn and pig-headed. I've met lots of folks that, uh, that claimed they were doing the will of God. The problem is that wasn't what God had said about the matter. So Paul makes the statement that he's ready to go to Jerusalem. But as time carries on, and Paul writes uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, uh, the uh, 14 Pauline epistles, uh, it's all right if you think it's 13. You, you can be wrong and you'll find out in heaven. But 
As he writes the Pauline epistles, on three separate occasions he makes this statement. He makes it here in the book of Romans, chapter number 1. We're going to preach on it a little while tonight. He also makes the statement over in the book of 2 Corinthians to the church at Corinth. He says, I am ready the third time to come unto you. And then finally he makes the statement in 2 Timothy, chapter number 4. Most of us are familiar with that verse when he says, I'm ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. Let me say this. If we can get the first two I'm ready's down, I believe we'll have that third I'm ready in order. Lots of folks say they're ready to meet the Lord, but they're not ready to meet the Lord. That's true both of the sinner and of the saint. There's lots of folks out here in the world that they say, oh, me and God, we're okay. And you ask them, you say, what do you base that upon? And they say, well, you know, somebody prayed for me or my daddy was a preacher. Or uh, Let me tell you something. If anything, your daddy being a preacher gives you bad marks with God. Somebody say amen to that. Being a preacher's kid, there ain't nothing to brag about. I've got one. I know, you know. Uh, but uh, lots of folks say, you know, I'm okay. I'm square with God. Whatever carnal worldly language they might uh, choose to, to use and express it with. But the truth is, many of them are not ready. And if they met God tomorrow, they'd meet Him uh, trying to stand in their own righteousness. And uh, they wouldn't meet Him standing in the righteousness of Christ. But, you know, that's true of saints, too. We we have a habit, and I know we sort of touch on a little tonight. And I, and I have the same sentiment. Man, I, I want the Lord to come back. I look forward to the soon coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is the soon coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And certainly, it's going to get us out of a lot of messes. Certainly, it'll provide us a lot of relief. But we need to understand that before we ever enjoy the bliss of the presence of the Lord, we must face and meet the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe it'd do us well to ask ourselves, am I ready for that day? Paul, when he talked about it, he said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. I believe Paul had some things he knew he'd have to answer for. And if Paul did, so much the more... Me and you. And so three times he uses this phrase, I'm ready. And I believe that we can gain some help tonight if we preach for a little while on this first one. I want to give you this thought. Paul says, I am ready to share God's redemption. You know, I believe uh, that there are a whole lot of Christians that are grossly underprepared to present the gospel to a lost sinner. Let me say that there's more to winning people to Christ than merely the presentation of the gospel. And you say, what do you mean, preach? Well, we'll preach on in a minute, but let me ask you this. It's one thing to give out a track. You know, we did these track challenges. I'm I'm pleased with that. I'm encouraged by it. Let me ask you something. Did you pray before you gave them out? Let's try that again. That's okay. If you didn't say amen because it hurt, that's all right. You know, just as long as you're awake. Amen? I wonder if we prayed about it before we gave them out. I wonder if we sought the face of God before we gave them out. You know, a lot of us, we're going to meet people over these next, or see people over these next couple of weeks that we won't see for a whole other year. Uh, you know, a, a lot of folks, that if your family's like my family, I mean, there's some that you see too much of, amen, but then there's some that you only see occasionally. And you're probably going to see some people in the next couple of weeks that you may not see for another year. And it wouldn't be unlikely that you might never see them on this side of eternity. I wonder if you're prepared to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with them. Well, Paul says that he is. And I want us to notice five things that he said about going to Rome and sharing the gospel. Five needful things to present the gospel to a lost and dying world. Look back with me at verse number 9, and I want you to notice what he says. He says, "...for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son." that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Let me say that there's a prayer that's needed as we share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, I understand as we read the context of this that Paul is writing to a group of believers. That is not lost upon me. But it is also not lost upon me that though one of the reasons that Paul wanted to go to Rome was to minister uh, in the midst of this uh, body of Roman believers, it is also not lost on me that another reason Paul wanted to go was to preach and present the gospel to those that were in Rome that needed to hear of the Lord Jesus Christ. And can I boil down what Paul says uh, between verses 9 and 12? He says this, I've been praying for you and I've been praying for this trip to Rome that I'm seeking to take. In other words, when Paul was going to an area to minister, when Paul was going to an area to present the gospel, he did not go haphazardly. He did not go without any thought. But before he had ever walked the streets of that city, he had already in his prayer closet walked up and down the alleys of lost souls and sought that God would give him favor and stir in hearts. How many of you know that unless the Spirit of God works in the heart of a sinner and makes real to them their need of the gospel, then it's all to no avail. It'll be nothing but sounding brass and tinkling symbols, and we need to get it through our head that it's not our mechanics, but it's the moving the Spirit of God that prepares the heart of a sinner to receive the gospel. Paul says, I've been praying about it. He, in fact, and I don't have subpoints. I promise you. You can see my notes. You see them there? All right, you saw them. I promise you, I don't have a bunch of subpoints, but I want to give you three to this point. Can I say that in verse number nine, he prayed for the individual. He says, I have not ceased to make mention of you in my Prayers. you got somebody that you want to see saved. You say, what do I do, preacher? Well, the first thing you do is start praying for them. Call out their name to a thrice holy God. Start praying for them and praying for them specifically. Isn't it funny that when we pray for a new car, man, we can pray for uh, the color car that we want. We can pray for the leather seats. We can pray for the number of cup holders. We can pray uh, for the trim package. But then when it comes time to pray for somebody to get saved, we say, Lord, save all the lost. Maybe if we got serious about that thing, we might say, Lord, save my nephew. God, save my spouse. Lord, save my child. Father, save my grandchild. Lord, work in the heart of my mama or my daddy. God, stir in their life and do something real and lasting. Paul prays for the individual. Verse number 10, he prays for the endeavor. He says, making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. You know what he says? He says, I'm praying God's going to go before me and give me a pathway and an open door that I might make it there. In other words, Paul was praying all along the way uh, that God would allow him to make it there safely and, uh, and, and, and prosperously. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, most of us, if we're going to witness to someone that we care about, we might have to drive 20, 30 minutes at the most. Most of us, we can just pick up a telephone uh, and call them or we can get on the Facebook or whatever that we choose to do, however we choose to connect with them. But can I give you a prayer that might help you? And I believe that Paul would probably endorse this. That's a bold thing to say, isn't it? But I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, I, I believe Paul might say this. I've been praying that God would give me the words to say when the time comes. After all, that's what it is when we're witnessing to someone, isn't it? It's a journey. It's a presentation of the gospel. And Paul, he understands when he gets to Rome, he's got a message to deliver. But you know what he's saying? He's saying, I've got a message, and I want the Lord to help me get it there. Now, when we uh, go to witness to someone, we have a message, don't we? The glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that He died in the place of sinners, and He by faith, uh, that they by faith can approach unto Him and ask forgiveness, and He'll save them. But you know, sometimes we worry that we don't have the words to say. We want to get our message there in the best possible way. 
I believe that as we seek to win people to Christ, we ought to pray God give us the words to say. You'd be amazed at how simple it is to turn us, uh, how easy it is to turn a sinner away from the Lord Jesus Christ. One ugly statement, one rude comment, uh, one calloused ideal or uh, phrasing of a statement, and it can turn them away. There's been untold testimonies of people that like the idea of Christianity. They just didn't like the Christians that preached it. God help you and me to never be the kind of person that through our words or through our attitude or through our poor testimony would turn people away from Christ instead of towards Him. He prays for the endeavor. But then look at verse 11 and 12. He says, For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. To the end ye may be, I like this word, established. In other words, he says, I want to do something that's going to last. Verse 12, that is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Let me say that Paul was praying for the end result of this matter. He wasn't just praying that he could get them down an aisle. He was praying that they might be saved and that they might be grounded and established and planted in a local church and that they might grow under the glory of God. Now, I I want to be very clear with what I'm saying because I believe our church is good about this. But I have known a lot of churches that, I mean, you know, they, they just they pull them through like cattle. And they, you know, they'd like some kind of magical independent Baptist prayer. They'd just shake the King James Bible over their head and walk them through, through a few words without ever checking out what God is doing in their hearts and souls, without ever questioning them. And then they'd pronounce them saved, uh, run them through a baptismal water, and uh, put another notch in their belt. I don't believe that's what God would have us to do. I don't believe that's the will of God. I don't see that in the New Testament. I'm glad a sinner can get saved in a moment, aren't you? I'm glad it's not complicated. I'm glad the sinner doesn't have to say it according to my pre-approved preacher uh, certified prayer. But let me say that I do believe there are some things that all sinner needs to understand before they can be saved. Uh, you say, I don't know if that's scriptural. Let me show you it is. And I ain't even going to take you there, but you can go there in your own time. Go to John chapter 4 sometime. The woman at the well, uh, she was ready to get saved. She said, give me this water that I may thirst no more. Now, did Christ walk her through a prayer and say, all right, honey, you're good now? No. He said, you don't even know the water that I'm speaking of. He said, you, uh, uh, how many husbands, uh, or, or where's your husband? She said, I ain't got a husband. He said, that's right, you don't. Uh, you've had five husbands. The man you're living with now isn't your husband. You know, she had, she had a concept of what she wanted, but she didn't have a concept of the fact that she is lost. She was what we might say one of those people that wants a ticket to heaven without ever realizing they're a lost sinner in need of salvation. Now, I'm not trying to complicate the gospel tonight. I know guys that put barbed wire around their altars, and the only professions they ever have are people that they have preached into thinking they're lost when they are saved, so they get some kind of profession out of them. I'm not talking about that tonight. I'm talking about being diligent and careful and vigilant in the way that we deal with people and share the gospel with them. He says, I want to see some end result. I want some fruit that remains. I I want to see you established and growing in such a way that my faith can comfort you, but not only that, your faith can comfort me. So we see a prayer that is needed. But look at verse number 13. We see the purpose that is needed. He says this, Now, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I like that word purpose In other words, Paul said, I wasn't just talking about it. I made plans and I executed them. Uh, You've heard it before that the gospel begins with go. Amen? 
I'll tell you this, uh, we, you know, and I, I, listen, I know this is one of those motivational statements that people, you know, at the Holiday Inn ballroom, you pay $35, they come in and tell you what's wrong with your life. I know they use this statement, but this is true. Uh, you absolutely do not win 100% of the people you never tell the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to. One sure way, never see anybody saved. I mean, led to the Lord by you is never tell anybody. Paul says, I didn't just talk about it, I made plans. When he says, I was let hitherto, you know what he's saying? He's saying, I was restrained. He's saying, I sought to, I endeavored to, I'm still planning to, it didn't work out. But Paul says, I had real definite plans in action to come and to reach you. Paul wasn't just talking about it. Isn't it good when you meet somebody that's not just all talk? You ever met anybody like that? Man, they always had something in the works. But the problem is, that which was in the works never got to working. I like the kind of people that they do a lot more doing than they do talking. Amen? Now, I know that's uh, funny coming from a Baptist preacher, but that's the truth now. I like the kind of people that they, you know, they don't wait for a committee to be formed to witness to somebody. I like the kind of people that, you know, they don't wait for somebody to come along and uh, knock them over the head and tell them God called them to do it for them to just go and do it. I remember somebody asked me one time, we was talking to somebody about ministry stuff, and we, we had asked this person to do something. And it was a simple task. I mean, it, it wasn't something that was real. Uh, you know, I mean, we weren't asking them to, you know, to, to go out and start a new church or nothing. It was just a simple task. And they said, you know, preacher, I'm just not sure if I'm called to do that. And I had to quote to myself, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And after about ten minutes of quoting that to myself, I told him, I said, listen to me, brother, you don't have to be called to do that. There's a need, so just do it. I like it. I hope you like it too. Hey, that worked in your workplace. Try that with your boss sometime. I'm not saying I'm your boss, but I, let me tell you something. I know somebody that is your boss. Try that in your workplace sometime. Go to your boss, and, and, and he says, Hey, I want you to run these files, or hey, I want you to do this work. Say, Boss, I'm sorry, I just don't feel like I'm called to do that. He'll say, Well, I don't feel like I'm called to pay you, so go ahead and hit the bricks. You know what they expect? There's a job to do, so do it. There's a job to do, so do it. Paul says, I made definite plans to go. I had it in my heart to go and to reach you. So I think we need not just talk about it, we need to do it. Look at verse number 14. I want you to notice the perspective that's needed. How do we get to that place? Well, he says this, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Now, can I say something? I, I hope you, if you will take what I'm about to say in a good way, say Amen. All right, I got you on record now. You ain't doing God a favor by giving the gospel. You're a debtor. It's funny how we think, isn't it, man? I mean, you know, God didn't do anything except send His Son to die for us on the cross. But we really believe we're doing God a favor when we show up at the church house or, or do a little bit of work or, or, above all things, when we share the gospel. I mean, that's, you know, we, we have allowed this concept to infect our churches that only the top-tier Christians share the gospel. Why are our churches dying, preacher? Because only the top-tier people are sharing the gospel. Everybody needs to be sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, why am I going to Rome? Paul could have done a lot of things with his time. In fact, you know, we find out that that trip to Rome didn't work out too well for Paul, did it? Uh, Paul could have done a lot of things with his time, but you know what he says? He says, I'm a debtor. In other words, I owe somebody a debt. I don't think he was saying he owed the Greeks a debt. I don't think he was saying uh, that he owed uh, the barbarians a debt. I don't think he said that he owed the wise men a debt or the unwise men a debt, but he understood there was somebody that had paid his debt 
and he owed them a debt. Uh, we've shared this truth before, but I want to share it with you again. When we bought a, the first house that we bought, uh, the, I can't remember who the mortgage company was that we, we bought it through, but uh, we had purchased this house, and we had took out a mortgage on it, and, and uh, we're paying on this mortgage. Well, we got a letter in the mail. And the letter in the mail said this, that, that such and such company, I believe it was Wells Fargo, Wells Fargo has bought your mortgage. They paid our debt. Can you believe that? That was nice of them, wasn't it? I mean, that company just up and went to that people we owed our, our, our house payment to, and they just paid it all off for us. Sounds good, isn't it? But there's a catch to that. You see, my debt had been paid, but my debt had been transferred. Now, all of a sudden, I didn't know that first company. Now, I owed Wells Fargo. Because they paid my debt, and you better believe that they let me know about it. Isn't it funny how, you know, like, the, you know, the IRS can just up and not pay you your tax return, you know, but you don't ever get that grace from them when it comes to paying your taxes. Same way with the mortgage company, you know what I mean? You don't ever, they don't ever just call and say, you know what, it's Christmas, we got this this month. I've never had that happen, have you? No, that debt don't just go away. Somebody paid that debt for you. But now you're indebted to them. You know what Paul says? Paul says, I used to owe a debt. I owed a sin debt. I was a lost sinner. And I owed a sin debt unto God. And then Christ came along and paid my sin debt and bought me and redeemed me. But now, see, it's not that I have no debt. It's that I'm a debtor now to Him. And how does He call in that debt? Well, He calls in that debt by asking us to give our life, to surrender it, to work for Him, to labor for Him. Now, let me tell you something. Let, let me tell you how, how good of a debt owner that He is. He's so good of a debt owner, if you never pay a dime on it, He still uh, won't break that contract. He still won't give you away. But that doesn't mean that you and I don't have a debt to pay to Him. Paul says, I'm a debtor. I owe a debt to Him. I've been entrusted with something. I've been given the gospel, and there's a whole lost and dying world that Jesus died for, and I need to go out and reach Him with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you don't listen, you don't have to wait for somebody to come along and, 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 and tell you that you need to give the gospel. God's already come along and told you you need to give the gospel. He said to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He didn't say, hey, you preachers, hey, you missionaries, hey, you Sunday school teachers, hey, you Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night Christians. He said, everybody that's saved by my grace, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Paul says, that's me. That's me. I'm a debtor, and I need to pay this debt. So that's the right perspective. But then I want you to notice verse 15. Notice the passion that's needed. He says this, so as much as in me is... I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Now, there's a lot of ways we can understand that phrase. Uh, certainly, we could understand it as Paul is referencing the indwelling Holy Spirit. And that is true. That's the only means through which we can be an effectual witness. Certainly, we could understand that, that what Paul is saying is, I may not be much, but I'm going I'm to try with everything that I've got to go. But you know what I think Paul's trying to get us to understand? He's trying to get us to understand this. Everything that I have and everything that I am, I'm investing into this effort. Now, that's the passion that we need. That's the passion that we need when giving the gospel to the Lord or to, to lost sinners. That's what we need in our hearts and lives. Now, let me tell you something. We just quit too easy. We just quit too easy. <laughs> now, I'm not saying you need to be ugly or that you need to pester people or you need to be rude to people. No one's telling you that. But I'm talking about most of the time, it, it, the problem is not that we quit on people. The problem is we quit on God. 
And we, we hand out a few tracts or we tell somebody, share with them a, a couple times and then they don't receive it well or they don't get saved and all of a sudden God's uh, fell off of His throne and things have gone bad and now God don't care about us and we just give up and give out on sharing the gospel. Paul says, to every last drop. And he says it even later in regards to serving God and working with, with the local church when he says, I'm ready that second time. You know how he says, he says to spend all and to be spent. Let me ask you something. What is it that you're passionate about in life? There's a lot of things that, that we, we have passion about. And can I pick on myself? Would that be okay? I picked on you, so I'm going to pick on me. If you've been around me at any point within the last two weeks, you know that I bought a new device. Brother Kerry, what did I buy? A smoker. An electric, master-built, 30-inch smoker. And I called on him, but I could have called on about 80% of the congregation that could have answered it. And I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. Brother Kerry said, your, ha- your hobby is now actually eating. And I said, yeah, I guess that's true. I- I- I'm enjoying it. I have fun. You know, I, went, I bought the-, the-, the meat thermometers, and it's wireless. I can sit on my couch, you know, and know what the temperature is inside of that, that pork shoulder. And, you know, I mean, we- we ha- we're, just- we're just enjoying the daylights out of it. I, I have smoked pork uh, shoulder. I, which is a fatty cut of meat. If you came for something better than this, I'm sorry to disappoint you. I have smoked pork loin, stuffed pork loin. Somebody say amen to that. I have smoked a turkey breast, which I don't like turkey. It's too healthy. Uh, but if you pile it on a sandwich with enough bacon and cheese, you can get something worth eating. I have sitting at home with me for me right now. Right now, I'd get my phone. I'd show you a picture. We'd put it on the on the screen if I had time to. A nine-pound sirloin tip roast. Hey, man, that's right. I'm going to make roast beef out of it. And you can't come to my house. I'm enjoying it. You know, I've been talking about it a lot. I've been reading. they got forums. And, you know, one thing you'll find about, about any kind of hobby like that, there's somebody that will smoke anything. I mean, it, it, the, there's somebody out there that can tell you what a smoked pair of loafers tastes like because it becomes a hobby. And, you know, I enjoy it. It, it, it. It's it's fun. It's kind of becoming a hobby of mine. You might say this, that there's a certain degree of passion that you display in it. Some of you, it might be something different. But there's something that you're investing your time in. Now, can I, can I just preach to myself for a little bit? If I got time to waste on that silly old smoker, surely I got time to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, if I got time to invest, hours to invest, surely I, I, I can take a gospel track and share it with someone. Surely I can pick up the telephone and call somebody. Surely I can find some way to reach out and share the gospel with someone. I'm saying this, that we can have a lot of passions in life. There ain't nothing wrong with that. We can have a lot of hobbies in life. But you and I, we have a singular purpose since we've been born again by the grace of God. We're debtors and our main passion, as much as in me is, if everything else falls away, if everything else wastes away, if I ain't got time for anything else, I ought to have time to give the gospel to a lost sinner. I believe it's the passion that's needed. And then finally, I want to touch on this and I want to close. Look down at verse number 16. It says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Let me say there is a power that is needed if we are to win people to Christ. I understand that there is the power of the Holy Spirit. But see, I I think if we can get that first point down, that prayer that's needed, I don't think we have to worry about the presence of the Holy Ghost in what we're doing. I I believe if we can pray about it, I believe the Holy Ghost will show up and help us with it. 
But I believe we now have to understand that there is power in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's important that we note the distinction between the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Word of God. Certainly the gospel is contained in the Word of God. There is more to the Word of God than just the gospel. The gospel is given to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's part of the reason, you know, people ask me sometimes, they say, Preacher, do you believe someone could be saved from another version? I believe that it's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that saves folks. Let me tell you something, you could scribble down the gospel on the back of a milk carton and a lost sinner could read it and come to know Christ. I believe that it's important we make that distinction. Here's why. Not that we might minimize our stand on the King James Bible, but that we might maximize our confidence and boldness when it comes to sharing the gospel, which is this. You don't, listen, you don't have to be the best uh, orator in the world to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I believe you ought to be a student of the Bible, but you don't have to be the best Bible student to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you may be a shy person. That's okay. Shy people win folks to Christ too. Here's what you have to get down. Are you ready? You're a lost sinner. And you're a sinner because that's who you are, not just because that's what you've done. But Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary to pay your sin debt and mine. And He rose again the third day in power and in glory. And now He's ascended to the right hand of the, uh, of the throne of God. And He's able to hear and answer if you'll call unto Him to save you from your sins. And now if you'll recognize that you can't save yourself, if you'll not depend upon your own self-righteousness, but turn away from it, and if you'll repent and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in faith, He'll save you from your sins. You don't have to say it in those words, but you've got to say it in some words. I believe there's a place for testimonial soul winning, don't you? But let us never allow our testimonial soul winning to overshadow the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, I think it's good to talk about what God did for us. But I think we need to always include the fact that God did it through the gospel. I, I believe there is a strong scriptural precedence for testimonial soul winning. That's what Paul did. Uh, Paul raised his hand. He'd say, hey... I was on Damascus Road one day, and every time you'd see, hey, one of these days I was on the road to Damascus. Hey, God shone a light from heaven. But you know, it always included and implemented the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That would become a segue. That would become uh, kind of like a neon sign to point men towards their need of salvation. And they'd say, what must we do to be saved? And he'd point over at the resurrected Son of God and say, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's the power of God. That's the power of God. Not our methods. The gospel's the power of God. I'm not anti-method. You've got to have a method to everything. If you've got madness, you've got a method to your madness. But that's, the method's not the power. The gospel's the power. I, I, I don't have a problem with, with, with music. I, I like music. I believe we've got good music around here. I enjoy. Uh, but listen, it's not about the music. It's about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what makes an impact. I think we need to understand that that simple but powerful and potent and eternal truth is what makes the impact in the heart and life of a sinner. And that's what we need to carry with us. Can I say this? We've got a message. We've got a message to give. We've got a truth to convey. And we need to convey it. Aren't you thankful we're not like some of these folks out here that got no message to give? Wouldn't you hate to be a Mormon? Hey, one of these days my, my Jesus looked in a hat and read golden tablets. What a bunch of nonsense. But they'll go door to door. (laughs) 
But you and I, oh my, what a glorious and splendid gospel we have of the blessed Son of God incarnate in the flesh, made like unto His brethren, suffering vicariously in your place and mine. Uh, What a gospel that God would condescend to take the place of sinful man and be made uh, like unto sinful flesh. What a gospel that you and I were lost and alienated from God, but God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. What a gospel we have to share. What a gospel we have to share. Why don't we share it more? Paul says, I'm ready. Here's the question. Are you ready? I hope that you are. If you're not, you can get ready tonight. You say, how do I do that, preacher? Well, you need to pray. That's the first thing. Pray, pray, pray. Pray that God give you the words to say. Pray that God would go ahead of you and stir and soften the heart of the sinner. Listen to me. No soil is naturally soft. It's always got to be turned and plowed. Amen? In fact, the only kind of soil that's naturally soft is sand, and you can't grow anything there. I mean, soil that can grow something has to be turned and plowed. And God may use a God-called preacher to uh, take the plow and to carry it, but it's the Spirit of God that moves and works in the heart and life of a sinner. Be praying. Pray, pray, pray. Get the right perspective. It's not about you. It's about Him. And you're not doing Him a favor. You're just doing your job. Get the right purpose in your life. Make plans. Make plans. You say, Preacher, I'm praying for my nephew. We'll make time to talk to your nephew. Preacher, I'm praying for my grandson. We'll make time to talk to your grandson. Preacher, I'm praying for my neighbor. Go borrow his leaf blower so he has to talk to you and give him the gospel. Make plans to do it. Uh, Get the right purpose. Get the right passion, man. Get it in the forefront of your heart and life. Get it in the forefront. How much time have we wasted on the things of the world? Get it in the forefront of your life and make sure that you get the power of God in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Make it your purpose to know and understand and be able uh, to adequately relay and convey that precious and glorious truth to a sinner in need.